my name is Joel Repic, and I'm lead pastor here uh, at the Gospel Tab. And if I haven't had the opportunity to get to know you yet, I'm looking forward to having that opportunity. Um, just uh, three things that I want to remind you of. If you were here last week, we had a different kind of service. Uh, you heard me kind of lay out some pieces of vision, some things that we feel God is calling us to in this next season. Uh, you can listen to last week's recording on the podcast or on our social media um, if you missed that and you want to hear it. But just a, a really quick review about some things we're talking about as a GT fam. Um, the first is this engagement pathway, which we'll put up on the screen again. Um, our church has been through so many changes in the last uh, decade plus um, that it really has set us on a journey over these years of trying to understand what it is that God is turning us into. Um, I can remember the elders here having conversations a decade or more ago, just kind of wondering what it is that God was turning us into. We knew he was deconstructing something and building something new because our church, uh, you may not know this um, if, if you're newer to us, but our church, I think, turns 104 years old this year. Um, so we've just been through these you know, cycles of change. And we, over this last decade or more, have felt God leading us to some things. And in the last year, our leaders really took some time to ask, um, how is it that people can easily understand how to connect to the gospel tab? If you've hung around us with a while, you, you know we're a church where there's a lot of movement happening, but in the midst of all the changes, it's not always been really clear how to connect. So we just uh, wanted to put together this engagement pathway. And I want to be clear, you don't have to do this pathway, all right? Um, we're just trying to answer a question, which is how do I connect? Um, if you want to know how to connect to this church, to our larger movement, then this is an answer. Um, you might find a different way to do it, and that's fine. Um, we support that, and we're okay with it, but we just felt like we wanted, we wanted to answer. So I said last week, the next few weeks, I'm just going to be highlighting some of this. And then uh, very soon here, you're going to see some um, things happen out in the foyer of the church they're going to basically put what you see on the screen here into physical form in our foyer out in the church um, so that people can connect at any time. Um, so it's just really obvious um, where it is that, that you can connect. So, of course, our visitor experience, um, we are still working on a lot of things around here to care for our visitors. The pandemic interrupted some of that. Um, we're getting back to some of that. If I can, she probably doesn't want to highlight it, but if I can just highlight Caroline Furman for a minute, just raise your hand just for a second. But Caroline is giving some attention to this um, for us, and uh, even just in the aesthetics of the building. Um, for many, many years, we were experiencing God's move here, and the building didn't look so great, you know? Um, and honestly, those years will always be precious to me because it was never about that for us. Um, and yet, it just feels really good to walk around and to see, you know, this place being taken care of. Um, Caroline's been leading some of that for us. Um, next is the partner class. So there will be partner classes coming up this fall. This is a first step for someone who's a visitor wanting to learn more about the church. And so very soon here, you'll be able to sign up for the next round of partner classes. It's a one a night class where you get to interact with some of our leaders and kind of understand what the Gospel Tab is all about, our vision, our leadership, our theology, all of those kinds of things. 
Um, a next good step is grounded, and you just heard that announced. It starts this Sunday night. Not, I'm sorry, not today, next week on Sunday night. Um, grounded will begin, and grounded is a great opportunity to build spiritual friendships, to learn some basics about the DNA here at uh, the Gospel Tab, and that is for you if you are newly following Jesus. You know, some of you are just figuring out what this is all about. Grounded is a great opportunity for you. Or if you've been following Jesus for a long time, um, but you just want more connection and friendship, you know, here at the tab, that's a great opportunity. So please sign up for that. And then today, I just want to highlight, see that circle of circles on the top? We're calling that our discipleship ecosystem. I'm not going to fully describe it. Um, but we're building out some things that let people go deeper in understanding their identity and calling in Jesus and to be equipped to be released, sent disciples. And there's different pieces to that. I just want to highlight one that's coming, and it's huddles. Now, this is non-existent right now, but by 2022, it will be in existence. Um, some of the leaders here at the Gospel Tab are going to be forming what we call huddles. And these are longer-term, um, intentional groups of people who are wanting to go deep in following Jesus together. Um, and we think this is a missing piece to what we've uh, had here at the tab. Um, I think it has happened very organically, but we want to give some organization to it. Um, I don't think discipleship can really happen in a gathering like this. Um, I also don't think um, it's too big, it's too impersonal. Um, I also don't think um, that discipleship just happens by teaching you ministry skills, by putting you in a classroom and you learning how to do things. Um, it, all of us who have grown in Jesus know that it happened in the context of relationship, right? We were doing life with people and probably a small group of people. And in that context, we started to grow together. So that's what huddles are going to be, and you're going to be hearing more about that coming in the future. Now, on the bottom right-hand corner you see that the whole reason the Gospel Tab exists is to be a, a launching pad for people into mission. Thank you so much. To be a launching pad for people into mission. Um, and we have some different ways to do mission. We're part of a larger family of churches called the Christian and Missionary Alliance that has been committed to global missions for over 125 years. So we're still vitally connected to that. Uh, we have international workers that are going to be spending time with us this fall talking about how we can partner. God might call and has called people from our church in the past to the nations, and that is something we want to actively support. Um, but locally, there's two expressions, the Greenhouse Network and the Greenhouse Lab. The Greenhouse Lab is down on Franklin Avenue in Aliquippa. It's an incubator organization that helps people start something. We want you to know here at the Gospel Tab that if God has put a ministry idea in your heart, in your mind, um, if he has called you to something particular in the community, we have a whole organization to support you in that, um, where there can be coaches and people who would want to dream with you and um, people who can help you with logo design if you need that, and finances and all those kinds of things. So that's the Greenhouse Lab. Um, I'm very, you got to come down and see it, by the way, if you haven't at some point. Um, you can coordinate with John Jordan. John, John and Galfour are back. So John, John and Galfour are just key leaders with us, and they've been on sabbatical for three months. 
And look at John sitting in the corner, like, just observing what's happened in three months' time, surveying. Um, We're so glad that they're back. But John is the executive director of the lab, and he's who you can connect with if you ever want to see it. But I'm so encouraged when I'm down there. There's so much traffic in and out of that building, just people working together and dreaming together. It's so good. The Greenhouse Network is this family of what we call missional outposts, now approaching about 30 missional outposts regionally from the east side of Pittsburgh going into Ohio, um, continues to grow. Um, Just this last week, friends, just to give you a picture of the kinds of things we're trying to figure out how to steward, um, just last week I got a phone call from some folks in the Ohio Valley, in Ohio, in Steubenville and Weirton, um, asking what it would look like for our movement to support, you know, what's happening there. And there's already people on the ground. Um, but what it looks like for us to speak into that. It's very significant for us because um, over the years we've had these prophetic words about the direction of the Ohio River and that there would be grace in those communities. Um, And so I don't know what to do with that. I don't have a clue. Um, But we just keep leaning into the Lord in prayer. So the vast majority of our network uh, does not come through the gospel tab, and that is fine with us. We're a released, decentralized network. Um, many of our leaders in the network don't call the Gospel Tab home. Um, the Gospel Tab is just a part of that picture in the larger network, okay? All right, the second thing we talked about last week, which I don't have a slide for, is this is a combined service because we are relaunching the Franklin Avenue campus of the Gospel Tab. So for the last two years, we've worshipped in two locations, here and down on Franklin Avenue. Uh, because of some circumstances that I described last week, where are coming back into a combined format for a few months, probably until February. Um, And we are going to be reforming a team. It's been a great experience down on Franklin Avenue, but we just feel like it's a good time to relaunch. We're going to be forming a team of 30 adults. Uh, We would love for you to be one of those 30 um, that in February is willing to call the Franklin Avenue campus of the Gospel Tab home. When that campus relaunches, we will worship at simultaneous times, which is different. So we'll worship at 10 o'clock here and 10 o'clock at Franklin Avenue. Um, And the Franklin Avenue campus will be forming some leadership teams and things like that. Um, So you'll be hearing more information about that. Every eight weeks, we'll recombine to worship together. And Sunday nights, we will still share our programming together. Youth and children's grounded will still be shared by both locations. So you'll be hearing more about that. Um, I told you that for the next few weeks, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to take a deep dive uh, for the next three weeks into these words, multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer. Um, I explained last week that for a number of months, um, the leaders here at the Gospel Tab and in the Greenhouse Network have been hearing the Lord speak this thematically to us. If I got into all of the ways that we feel like God is speaking this to us. Um, It would take me all morning to describe it. Um, But we're at a place now where we don't have all of our questions answered, but we're just leaning in uh, to the voice of Jesus and trying to understand what it is that he's calling us to. And I don't think this just applies to the tab. It applies to the larger network as well. I said last week, I'm not announcing these words as some kind of vision that we're going to now go do. I'm saying This is already happening. It's like God has like tapped us on the shoulder and been like, do you see what's happening? Uh, You need to understand this. Multiplication is happening. You need to understand this um, so that we can steward it well. So today we're going to talk about multiplication. Actually, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about one church in the book of Acts, and it's the church in Antioch. Um, 
if you've been here long enough, we've preached through Acts before, but uh, we really want to root this in the scriptures in the next few weeks. And what we're going to do with multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer is we're going to look at the church of Acts, if my phone is the, is the, I'm sorry, the church in Antioch, if my phone is the church in Antioch, um, we're going to look at this from kind of three different angles, you know? So we're going to be talking about some of the same passages, but kind of from three different angles with this lens of multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer. So today, multiplication. Um, And I'll tell you, we're going to start in Acts 2, but we're actually going to be um, in some different passages. They'll be on the screen if that's easier for you uh, to follow along today. Today and next Sunday and the following Sunday, I do feel a certain kind of weightiness on what I'm saying. And it's just a feeling I have in prayer, kind of subjective. Um, I just think some of the things we're going to talk about in the next few days are going to mean something for us in the next few years. Um, And so uh, I I feel that weightiness coming in today. Um, And I'm trusting that that God is going to meet us um, as we look at at his word together. Um, So let's talk about multiplication. Where did this concept come from? Well, actually, it starts in the book of Genesis. We're going to look together in, the, in Acts, but let's just talk about Genesis for a second. Way at the beginning, when God is creating the heavens and the earth, we learn something about God's design for the world and design for life in this idea of multiplication. As a matter of fact, his original command to the humans that he created in Genesis 1.28, I think I have it up on the screen, In Genesis 1.28 is that people would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we don't know anything else besides this be fruitful and multiply. It's been that way since the beginning. But just think that God could have created it differently. Uh, What if every year he didn't multiply, he just added? Like, what if every year some people just dropped out of heaven, you know, onto the earth? And this was God's contribution to our population, you know, for the day. Instead... He didn't do that. Instead, he invited us into cooperation um, with him in creating life, right? And what we participate in with God in creating life is multiplication. Um, Every species in the animal kingdom and humans create out of multiplication. What they create is in many ways like them, but it is not a copy, right? Right? It carries its DNA, but it is distinct. Um, You can tell where it came from, but it is different. And this tells us something about the task that God has called us into from the beginning, which is a task of multiplication, to join with him in seeing things come to life through multiplication. So this is God's design. This is God's idea. It's how he thinks about it. Um, But by the time we get to the New Testament, let's fast forward just thousands of years after the creation, we see that this is God's design not only for biological life, for human life, for life in the animal kingdom, um, but this is God's design for spiritual life in the church as well. That what God invites us into is multiplication, is a coming together and cooperating with God in a way that causes new life to be born. You can tell where it came from, but it's different. It shares similarities, but it's distinct. This is God's design for the church. And you especially see this in the book of Acts through a church in the ancient city of Antioch. Now, um, my point here is going to be that multiplication in the church 
happens through sending, right? So sending is how we participate with God in the task of multiplication. It is when we send each other that multiplication happens, and we believe that here at the Gospel Tab, God has called us to be a sending church. So to talk about this, um, we're going to talk about this ancient uh, church in the city of Antioch. I think I have a map, if we can put it up. Um, the map, the words on the map were so small, I tried to add bigger words, all right? So, you know, the church's birthplace is really in Jerusalem, right? This is where Jesus died, um, and after his ascension, the disciples are gathering in Jerusalem in prayer like Jesus told them to at the beginning of the book of Acts until the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, came on them and they were empowered um, like Jesus said would happen. All of that happened in Jerusalem. But as the story unfolds in the book of Acts, um, kind of a center of this story doesn't happen in the south in Jerusalem, although important things happen there. But increasingly, more and more of the story happens with a group of believers farther north in a city called Antioch. And if we can this morning, I just want us to trace the development of this church. To do that, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Uh, this is, by this point, this is right after the disciples have received the Holy Spirit, right after the church has been born. And here's the description of the church in Jerusalem. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. So they're meeting in the temple, actually, um, in the Jewish temple. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, the next slide. Um, on that day, oh, I'm sorry. I must have put the wrong thing. It's okay. Um, and so one thing we learn is that the church is gathered. They're existing in relationship together. It says about the church in Jerusalem that daily people were being added to their number, right? Um, the church in Jerusalem is defined by addition. Are you tracking with me? It's defined by people being added to them. And, they're, and it's good. They're worshiping together. They're eating together. Relationships are going deep. This is all a really good thing. And very often, some of the verses that I'm reading to you in Acts chapter 2 are kind of held out as the model of what the church should be. And it is not a bad model. I want to be clear. There are things we want to copy from this, right? Breaking bread in our homes, you know, gathering together in smaller groups, letting relationships go deep. We're planning some of those things in our engagement pathway. We want to see some of this stuff happen. But this was not the fullness of God's design. Because God creates life not just through addition, but through multiplication. And multiplication for the church in Jerusalem came in a very unexpected way. It came through persecution. As we read the story on, um, further on in the book of Acts, um, there's a deacon, an early leader in the church named Stephen, who ends up being martyred by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And this is where we'll pick up the formation of the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 8. Let's go there. On that day, a great, so this is after Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So after Stephen's death, the enemies of the early Christians felt empowered to start going looking for Christians and killing them or imprisoning them, and this caused people to flee into the rest of the region. We learn something later in Acts chapter 11 that some of these people who had been scattered ended up in the city of Antioch. Now let's look at this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now watch this in the next verse. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And so we learned something about this church in Antioch, that there was missional innovation happening in this church. Before Antioch, the gospel had spread only to Jews. It, and understand what is kind of baked into that. It meant Jewish culture, Jewish language, Jewish way of worship. But for some reason in Antioch, as the Holy Spirit is working in people, there are some leaders who are inspired to do something that's never been tried before. To share the gospel with a different ethnic group. The Greeks also, telling them the good news. This is uncharted territory. Friends, this is so relevant to us because I do want you to know everything we talk about here at the tab with the tab and the network and the lab, we are discovering that Jesus is doing some of these things in other cities, but only like in the last five or six years in North America. We are in uncharted territory. Jim Scull recommended a book to me um, a couple years ago. It took me a long time to get around to reading it, but it was on my list. It's called Canoeing the Mountains, and a book on leadership. But basically, the, the metaphor that was being used in the book was um, the early American explorers, Lewis and Clark, uh, were chosen to explore the West in the United States because of their canoeing ability. You know, nobody had ever really seen, you know, what was in, in kind of the great unknown. Uh, no European person had ever seen. And... And so they got into their boats, and they really thought they were going to be able to canoe to the Pacific Ocean until they hit the Rocky Mountains, right? <laughs> and now, everything, all the reasons they had been picked, you know, every, everything that qualified them for this journey was now out the window, right? Because now they have to figure out how to do mountains. Well, I would say today, it's not just in the church, it's in the larger culture as, as well, any leader that's having any impact is feeling like they have to canoe mountains. There have been such dramatic cultural shifts, such big changes, that the canoes and the paddles we carried with us on this journey, we got to leave them behind. They are not even going to work anymore. And this means that what's needed today are not leaders who know everything, but leaders who are willing to learn. Leaders who are willing to, to be together and figure out how to learn, because there aren't easy answers to some of the things that we're experiencing. So this is what happens in Antioch. There's an innovation. Okay, we brought canoes and paddles, and now there's mountains. Now, now we're ministering to Greek people. We're, we're not you know, trained for this, and you have to understand that changes culture, worship style. It changes how discipleship is going to work among this group of people. There's no curriculum for this. There's no seminary that they can go to to learn how to do this, right? This is all new. But look, the Lord's hand was with them. And that's always the most important thing, isn't it, church? Not how much we know, not what kind of experts we are, but that the Lord's hand was with them. It's the defining mark of every movement. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Let's read on in the next few verses. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, so they hear about this innovation, this thing that's never happened before, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I love Barnabas in the book of Acts for a few reasons, which we'll see here. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God has done. Oh, praise God for leaders who can see something new and still recognize the grace of God in it, right? Who can say, say well, this has never been done this way, but I, I sense the presence of the Lord in it, um, there was an older saint at our church who went to be with the Lord this last year, Mary Ellen Owen. She played the organ here for many years. 
And uh, she was in her 90s when she passed. I had the honor of speaking at her funeral. And I remember her telling me, Joel, so many things have changed at the Gospel Tab, but I sense God's presence in our gatherings, so I'm in, you know? Um, And she stuck with us to the end even though there were so many changes because she sensed the grace of the Lord, right? So Barnabas sees it. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Let's keep reading. He was a good man. Yes, he was. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then look at this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but Saul had been one of the persecutors of the early church, right? By this point, he has encountered Jesus, and he has been hanging out in a place called Tarsus, in part because you want to talk about innovations that Jerusalem cannot wrap their mind around. One of those innovations is they cannot wrap their mind around a person who had persecuted them now being in their ranks. And Paul, by this point, has kind of sensed that there's a vibe, right, between him and the church in Jerusalem. And so he's in Tarsus hanging out. But I love this about Barnabas. God, God uses Barnabas to pull in a leader on the margins because God is doing a new thing. Barnabas recognizes that in this new thing that God is doing, leaders will get to lead who wouldn't get to lead otherwise. It's multiplication. So then Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas is like, you know who would be perfect for this crazy thing? This crazy guy, right? And Tarsus, he's like, this would be perfect. And so he goes and gets him. He's like, he's not going to, he's never been able to really make it in Jerusalem, but he'll make it out here where God is doing stuff that nobody can explain, right? So he finds him and then he brings him to Antioch. Now they begin to minister together. Let's continue to read on. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. Now Saul is getting empowered. Barnabas, because Barnabas saw it in Saul. I want to be that kind of leader. I hope you do too, that can see things in people that other people can't see. Um, You know, in the course of my ministry, I do think sometimes God has given me eyes to see things in people that other people can't see. Sometimes it's worked out. Sometimes we're still waiting. Sometimes it hasn't worked out. But church, I'll tell you this, I have no regrets about taking a chance on the grace of God in someone's life. I have no regrets about doing that. Um, I just think it's what God has called us to do. Um, So they met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, here's why that's important. Their identity is solidifying. God is doing this new thing, and now its language is surrounding it. This is what is happening to us. Um, It's not as significant as Christians. That's a word that has stuck with us all these years. Um, But for us, it's like God's been doing a new thing. Now we have an engagement pathway. Now we have a discipleship ecosystem. Language starts to form around the move of God, right, to try to describe what it is that God is doing. So the church in Antioch is different because it was planted out of mission and multiplication and innovation. Can I tell you something, friends? That is our church, too. Just 104 years ago, but that is, I'm not going to have time to get into all of it, but that is totally the story of the gospel tabernacle, um, It was out of innovation. It wasn't out of doing normal things the normal way that this got started 104 years ago. It was people who who are forefathers and foremothers who decided to think differently, who decided to ask in the Plan 12 neighborhood in Aliquippa, what is God doing next? What is God doing today? And we were started in that same way. Now, here's where we're going to camp out for the next few weeks is in Acts 13. We continue to watch the developments in Antioch. 
Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Prophets, people gifted to hear the Lord often spontaneously as the Spirit is speaking. And teachers, people gifted to hear the voice of the Lord in the Word. This is a listening community, people who are listening for the voice of Jesus. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. I'm not going to have time to get into all of this, but this is a culturally diverse and racially diverse group of people. Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Let's read on. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so now we see that a church birthed out of multiplication, not addition, birthed out of multiplication is now being called by Jesus to multiply. How? How do we participate with God in multiplication? By sending. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and set them, sent them off. I don't know. We might be hearing these words in this time, multiplication, regionalization, generational transfer, but I hope you know there's nothing here more innovative than the word of God. I, I just think this is how God works in his church. I, I think this is just you know, how we could expect. If God is breathing life into a group of people, I think we would expect it by the word of God we would expect it to look more like multiplication than addition. This is how God breathes life onto this world. It's how he did it in creation. It's what he's doing now. Now, in my last few minutes here, let's just have some honest conversation about this because we had some movement meetings in the last uh, few months and we were processing just some of our visceral emotions you know, surrounding being a church that's saying we value multiplication more than addition. Um, by the way, I said this last week, even if you are not familiar with the church, you're newer to all of this, it has been, some of it's just being an American, some of it is kind of a whole industry that has been built up around church growth in this country, but even if you were never in a classroom and taught it, you, were, you probably, somewhere in your mind, have been taught to associate growth, addition, bigness with church health. And, and I want to say, like, those two things are not necessarily incompatible. Healthy churches often grow. We are a growing church. And yet, that is not exactly God's design for how he wants to work with us. He wants to do something surrounding multiplication. But growth is so, like, baked into us. It's so programmed into us that when we start to step into multiplication, it can actually feel wrong. Um, it, it does for me sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, no, God wants us to multiply, and it actually feels like I'm making foolish decisions in leadership. Um, but I think this is what God has called us to. And Gospel Tab fam, I really believe in the next few months, I'll predict something. There are going to be times where God is going to ask us to do something that feels wrong, but from his word, we know that multiplication is how he works. And we have to choose him. It's no different than Israel being at the edge of the Red Sea. And instead of choosing to run or to do something that made, so to try to build a bridge as fast as they could, to stretch, a, to stretch a staff over the Red Sea, that makes no logical sense. But what God is calling us to do, right, we step into it and we do it. Nonetheless, there are real emotions. And so this is my last point. Multiplication is one of the ways God leads us into dealing with our anxiety. I want to normalize something today for us. Some of you are feeling this already. There's such an empowered group of people. So many of you are like doing ministry. Um, 
Some of you are already feeling this. I'm feeling it. If you're not feeling it yet, hold on. It's coming, all right? Multiplication is one of the ways that God leads us into dealing with our anxiety. I've worded this very carefully because my message today is not don't feel anxious. That's not my message to you today. Maybe that's another message another time. My message to you today is to actually acknowledge the anxiety, to let it come, to recognize that God sometimes leads us in ways that surface things in us that if he didn't lead us in that way, it would never get surfaced. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You feel what I'm saying? Um, Especially, if I can just speak to us as a church family, especially when a church is relatively healthy. Oh, we got lots of issues, but, you know, relatively healthy. and, And things have been a certain way for a long time. It is very easy for the environment to get curated to our emotions, so that nothing feels uncomfortable, so that we are experts in everything, so that we have an answer for everything. And I think God does give us seasons like that, but in my experience, he doesn't let us stay there for very long, (laughs) you know? Because the story has to be about him, not our expert status. The story has to be about him, not our nostalgia. The story has to be about him, not just what we want. So he is often very pleased to lead us into spaces that he knows are going to surface anxiety in us. Am I preaching? All right, is anybody feeling this? Yeah, okay. Um, and it's going to surface. So I think we should acknowledge it. And I want to acknowledge it because I don't think it's helpful to be fake with faith. You know what I'm saying? To talk like, to use all this language of faith and not acknowledge our anxiety. It's better just to acknowledge it. Say, this makes me nervous. This makes me uncomfortable. Now, I don't know what Paul and Barnabas and the church in Antioch felt when they're in this prayer and worship God. Who knows what happened? You know, they're reading the word of God. They're worshiping. They're fasting. Maybe like what happened today. Someone stood up and spoke in a tongue, and there was an interpretation. There were some prophetic words. And the room, it just settles in the, on in the, in the room. Oh, my goodness. God is asking us to send away a Paul and Barnabas, two of our best. God is asking us to send them away, to lay hands on them and send them to the next thing that God is calling to. I don't know what kind of anxiety that, that created. The scriptures don't tell us, but let's just use some sanctified imagination for a second. For the people who are going to be left behind in this, in Antioch, don't you think there's certain questions they have? Wait a second. Who, they've been teaching us for a year. Who's going to teach us? Um, wait a second. They, they've been leading in all these ways. They've been encouraging us. Who's going to do that? Who's going to, right? They start asking all of these questions. Because wrapped up in that is that they're going to have to do things that they never had to do before because Paul and Barnabas did it in their community. But now they're going to have to do it. And, by the way, they might not be as skilled. I don't think in that scenario God just like magically transfers Paul and Barnabas' ability to the group. I think God is more than pleased to work with us where we're at. You know what I mean? For God, this is not some exercise and quality control so that we can have a show, right? He's interested in you. He's interested in your development. He's interested in you becoming more empowered and you becoming more like Jesus. And if Paul and Barnabas help with that, moving on, well, then I think Jesus is pleased to do it, right, with this group of people. But there also has to be all kinds of anxiety for Paul and Barnabas, and some of you are feeling this in this room too, Because God is calling some of you into places where there are not clear answers to things. Paul and Barnabas, it's like, you want to, okay, you want to talk about things people have never done before. Like, 
Paul and Barnabas don't have a missionary training school to go to. They don't have books to read on missiology. They're just going to go, right, to this one city, to the next, to the next. And there really isn't anybody to help them in this. They're just trusting that the hand of the Lord is on them. And we're going to be talking about this next week when we talk about regionalization. They are trusting that as they have to let go of their canoes and their paddles, that God is going to be with them in the mountains. They're just trusting that this is what God is going to do and the story is going to be about um, um, him instead of them. As a matter of fact, I think this is one of the reasons that God multiplies. We sang it, our hope is in you, God. Um, our songs were perfect this morning. This means, by the way, our hope is not in our leaders, Gospel Tab family. It's not. Our hope is not in the Gospel Tab. It's, I've told you before, give your life to something better, more lasting than the Gospel Tabernacle. Um, our hope is not in our history. Our hope is not in a vision that I have. Our hope is not in our church. Our hope is not in any of these. Our hope is in the Lord, Amen. right? And he takes us to the place where we're going. Nonetheless, you might be hoping in the Lord all day, but still feeling anxious. Real talk, right? You might be feeling that. So what do we do when we feel anxious? Well, I think, I think we're tempted to do a few things. We run, just like I'm out of here, Right? I, mean, I don't mean like out, out, of the, out of here, like out of the church. Actually, in our church, we, we would love to lay hands on you and send you out, right? I think that's what God has, has, put, has put on us. Um, but I mean, we run from assignments. We run from saying yes. We run because it just feels too scary. That's one response we can have. Or we paralyze, right? Um, some of us are so used to being the people who have the answers, the people who look competent, that as soon as we don't know, we paralyze. It's like we can't take one step because it's too vulnerable, right? And we're, we're only willing to serve if it looks like we know what we're doing. Or I've seen this sometimes in response to anger, uh, I'm sorry, to anxiety, people get angry. This is one of the earliest things I learned in ministry that very, very many times when someone was expressing anger at me or the church or at somebody else or at change or at, whatever, most of the time, it's actually anxiety. Anger is almost always a secondary emotion. And it's a dangerous emotion because it does damage, right? Because words are said and actions are done in a heated moment that are hard to take back. But sometimes just out of the anxiety, you know, we attack. Um, or sometimes we really lean into our leaders and hope that they can give us answers. And friends, I just want to be really honest with you here because I've said it to so many of you in the last few months I'm going to have to keep saying it to the gospel tab and to the network. We are officially in the mountains as a movement, all right? And I am, God is giving us friends on this journey, but I don't know that he's giving us experts because I don't know that they exist. Somehow, someway, this little church has ended, on kind of, has ended up kind of on the frontier of this new thing that God is doing in North America. And I don't say that with any amount of grandiosity. I say it with some, because it's not this like innovative, cool thing. It's like, oh, we might die out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like that. It feels more like that, all right? Um, it feels like all of a sudden we're trying to climb mountains and we don't really know how to do that. So we don't even look that cool. You know what I mean? Like while we're doing it. Um, but that's where we're at. And I've had to tell so many of our leaders, some of you sitting in this room in the last few months, I don't know how to answer your question. I don't know what to say to that. 
I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. I don't, I've had to say it to so many of you. And trust me, anxiety tends to create anxiety. Then I have to fight anxiety in my soul because it feels really vulnerable to be a leader who doesn't have answers. I'm one of the people that likes to have answers, you know, um, to be able to calm people down by having answers. But there have been so many conversations. I just don't have answers. But when I know this family, you're probably in this season, because we're out in this uncharted territory, you are going to see the limitations of my leadership. If I can just speak for a second. You're going to see the limitations of my leadership and maybe other leaders. You're going to see that we don't know anything, everything. We can't, maybe anything too. Um, that we don't know everything and we can't pretend. God is taking us to a place where we can't pretend. Um, and so that, that's where we are, right? Um, and we can do different things with that. We can get paralyzed, we can get angry, or we can say, my hope is in the Lord. My hope was never in this leader. My hope was never in this vision. It was never in this church anyway. The Lord's hand was on them, and somehow an answer will come from heaven when we need it, right, in the right time that we will know what to do. Okay, I, I feel like I'm feeling just some of the, the weightiness that I was sensing at the beginning of this sermon. Um, can our worship team come back up? Because that's how we're going to end today. Kiara, the songs today were beyond on point. I mean, just amazing. And as a matter of fact, friends, you want to talk about resources um, God has given us in this season. Um, God's people have often sung their way through these seasons. When we don't have answers, we sing what we know, which is the goodness of God. When we don't know where this is leading us, we sing what we know, which is his name. We build our lives, we build this church on the revelation that he has given us while we wait for more revelation of what's to come, right? And, um, and I really believe that God has anointed our worship leaders in this season to sing our way through the mountains, to sing our way to the places where God is leading us. So we're gonna do that in just a second. I was in here praying this morning, just thinking about anxiety and how as a leader, you just wanna take the anxiety away, especially for the people you lead, but that might not be what God is doing. Um, it would be bad leadership for me to rescue you from all of the uncomfortable things that Jesus is calling you to do. Um, you know, to say, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, the church will do it. The church staff will do it, you know? Instead, I think God's anointing some of you. Um, and that might feel like really uncomfortable, you know? And man, I, I hate that for you because it's so uncomfortable, but... Um, it's also where Jesus does the best stuff. As a matter of fact, Jesus came and experienced all this anxiety himself. You want to talk about something that was never done before? Jesus. How about God becoming human? Um, he came and experienced all of this anxiety himself so that when you and I experience anxiety, we never have to do it separate from his presence so that he will be with us so that we are united, him, the, united to him, the one who made it through all that anxiety, passed through even death, the anxiety of death, to the other side. You know, think about it, Where do you really see the anxiety in Jesus? It's in the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't it? And isn't it amazing? It's so different than worldly leadership that, that the scriptures don't spare us this picture of Jesus feeling anxious. I love this. This is amazing. 
the scriptures aren't interested in just giving us this picture of Jesus as always having it together and competent and sophisticated. And instead, there he is, a wreck, an emotional wreck in the garden, scared out of his mind about what is coming next. Just so scared, so vulnerable, not knowing what's coming next. And I find it very, very interesting. There's things that happened. You know, God sends an angel to minister. There's things that happen. God is there. The Father is there strengthening the Son in the garden. And yet, the answer for Jesus in the middle of his anxiety and being called to an unknown place, the answer for him was not to somehow wish the anxiety away, was not somehow to have this self-talk that's like, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, and then we're anxious about our anxiety. And we're, You know what I mean? Like we get into these places in our mind. Here was the answer for what Jesus did with his anxiety, being called into an unknown place where God was going to multiply life out of a grave. Not my will, but your will be done. That's it. Surrender. Submission. Obedience. Lord, I don't have the answers, but not my will. Your will be done. This is going to hurt, but not my will. Your will be done. I don't know what I'm doing, but not my will. Your will be done. No one's done this before, but not my will. Your will be done. I brought a paddle, and now there's mountains. Not my will. Your will be done. And the battle was won, really, at Gethsemane. Because the sun was submitted. It was over. The devil knew it was over. I mean, Jesus was still going to die, but the sun submitted. No amount of demonic force from hell would ever come over that. And the same is true for us, church. Listen, the enemy isn't terribly threatened by us thinking we have answers. It's delusional. The enemy isn't threatened by people who have lots of knowledge. But here's where the enemy knows he loses every time is with the people who are submitted. It's with the people who no matter what they feel, no matter how scary it gets, they say, not my will, but your will be done. That is our victory cry. Not my will, but your will be done. Every time we say that to him, every time we submit in every hard place, the hand of the Lord remains on us to accomplish things. And here's the good news. It is not just the strategy that is unknown. It is the harvest that God is giving us, the joy that is coming that is unknown too. And we're gonna step into even more than what we could have ever asked or imagined. Thank you.